This is the Wheelhouse podcast. So much to get through as we uh, get through another week that was in the cycling world. Uh, Perth is in the mix for the Aussie Nationals. How does the Australian cycling community feel about it? The saga of Sargon continues. Merksy's excited about that much, can assure you. The cycling economy, what is it? Who does it? And what impact does it have? We're going to find you some answers to that. And a legitimately controversial documentary just around the corner. Uh, We're going to dive into that as well. My name's Joel Spreadborough. Joining me now, I love this today because we are coming to you from the bunker. I'm here in the bunker. Merksy's here in the bunker within the bunker. Um, And Catherine Bates is in the bunker that's not quite the bunker, but is still a bunker. Hello, Kate. Mm. Yes, Batesy's got a Sydney bunker. Uh, we've upgraded a little bit, but I, I had to travel. So I've got my mobile bunker. Uh, it's got like inflatable, like think about it like uh, <laughs> like a little jumping castle. Like your inflatable uh, ice bath. Yeah, yeah. But a bunker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I could still be in the bunker. Oh, yeah. And I say Merck's yeah. has done a beautiful job of making it look very natural, au naturale. Mercy wide shot. always does a beautiful job. I wonder if this bunker makes you as cold and as regretful as your ice bath bunker, given that they're so similar in design. <laughs> no, I and and I don't know. It's probably just as therapeutic. Can I say that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening, sharing, liking, and subscribing. And hello to our friends at bikebug.com as well. Let's jump straight into it, Catherine. So Perth is in the mix. For the nationals now, when when sport goes west, it's it's always interesting in Australia because you could almost draw a lovely little divide right down the middle of the country, and that's basically where everyone sits in it. If you're west of that line, you love it. If you're east of that line, or south north of that line, or wherever else, you're going. Why the f are we going there? So what 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 what's happening, mm. and why why has everyone got the what do, what do you say the panties in a wad over it? Panties in a wad, yes. Knickers in a knot. And you've heard me say on this show before, the West is the best. Uh, when I've said that, <laughs> I have been referring to Western Sydney where I grew up. Uh, but I think in the, in this case, a lot of people are saying the West is the best, as in uh, the Democratic Republic of Western Australia, uh, of course, as we got used to calling it, yeah. um, you know, in the bad old COVID days. Uh, but seriously, Joel, what they're talking about is moving the road national championships that have been in Ballarat for a whopping 18 years Uh they're talking about moving it to different locations to mix it up. Uh, you know, naturally, everybody always complains about Ballarat in some form, you know, change it up. Yeah. Uh, but I think the reality of changing it up is probably more divisive uh, than Mount Buninyong itself. So Perth, it looks like it's come into the mix and we know this, and this is the cool bit. Uh, Matt Deneath at the Escape Collective, uh, they've found through information publicly available Uh, through council records that Perth Council uh, has signed off on provisional funding for the event for a three-year period um, in a bit of an if this, then that scenario of all of these other things have to fall into place. Uh, But a bit of a wheelhouse exclusive here, Joel. Uh, What I did was I slid into the DMs of the the Mayor of Perth, um, Basil Zempilis, and uh, anybody who... Uh, is an AFL fan will know Basil because he's, you know, quite a famous uh, commentator and caller. Uh, and in fact, he commentated the uh, women's mountain bike at the Olympics in 2016 from memory. So, you know, he's he's a fan of the cycling community. Anyway, I slid into his DMs and I said, Baz, 
what's the go with this? What's the head up? I sent him the article and his reply, Joel, was, I don't know anything about it. Oh. And I'll look into it for you. I'm not saying that it, you know, this isn't a real thing, but, you know, I'm not aware of it. So that's interesting. Uh, he did oh. tell me that when he found out some more info, he'd come back to us. But perhaps it's the rumour mill heating up. Uh, more than anything, but it's been enough to get people a little bit cranky. I'm curious, so like we love you, Baz, friend of the show. When's he hopefully coming on soon? But the whole mm. um, I don't know anything about something that's been provisionally funded right under my nose mm. is interesting. Merksy yeah. has a thought from the bunker inside the bunker. Is it like when they say, um, you know, the NRL Grand Final's moving away from Sydney and they just want to push the price up? Just to push it up. Yeah. Interesting. It, look, it's it's possible, and I think that, why everybody's kind of cranky is the interesting point. And it's because all of the East Coasters, as you alluded to in, in your opening soliloquy, Joel, they don't want to go all the way west. They're saying the yeah. time, the cost of it. Like they're yeah. saying around Tour Down Under, Cadells, all of these races that are on on the East Coast at that time of year, the summer of cycling, throwing a race in Perth would just, you know, throw a cat amongst the pigeons essentially. Mm. But then, of course, what you're getting is the very strong WA cycling community coming out saying, oi, we have to hoik it all the way over east uh, every summer, like our time has come. And yeah. I understand that argument, to be honest. If we consider that Western Australia has produced the likes of Hindley and Glutzi O'Connor, Sam Wellsford, uh, Jessica Allen in the women, so many more names because they really are a talent factory over there, there is an element where they kind of deserve uh, the fans over there, the community over there, to have some big events. It would be a great event. I'm just not sure if we'd get the same participation uh, from the athletes and certainly it would be a big financial, you know, drain potentially on more athletes travelling over there versus the smaller that um, just come from WA. But you know what? I think that we do need to mix it up a little bit and mm. I think if it is a national sport, I think it is hard for WA they're always oh, look, kind of over there, a five-hour flight away. We've got some incredible athletes, obviously the O'Connors of the world. Glutzi, good evening to you. I know you're out there listening and sharing and subscribing. Jai as well, a great chance to represent uh, and grow the sport even more over there because it is often, and if you're people from the West, it's like we are treated like a sporting outpost. And the thing is... Not just cycling, but other sports have got markets over there. They genuinely do. AFL obviously has two teams there. The NRL has had teams there before. Let's not forget Western Australian cricket has produced some of our finest test uh, exports in the men's and women's game. So there's merit to going there. I get it, though, when it comes to time zones, when it comes to things like coverage and being able to sort of stay in track and that all-important travel consideration, especially for some of the bigger riders that are looking to not physically bigger, but bigger profile riders that are looking to, to get involved in a, a massive, massive season on well. There's so many considerations and considerations and considerations as well uh, to be made around it. Uh, Merksy. They've got Gravel Worlds in WA in 2026. Okay. Yeah. The path and they have being um, they have some big gravel racing and uh, qualifications for world Grand Fondo and such. So they know how to run an event. I mean, I've got two ideas here. My first is that people, if they're going to complain about money, um, perhaps I was cycling with the sponsorship that it draws and with the potential for new markets over there. And I'm looking squarely at the mining industry here. Uh, potentially, why not travel subsidies uh, for the athletes from the East Coast? And then when 
the nationals are on the east coast travel subsidies for the athletes from the west and uh, kind of take a bit of that cost out of the equation Uh, the other thing i would say is there needs to be an event guys a a grand event to unveil uh um, statue so why can't we tie this all in? Yes, and uh, and have you know a grand unveiling? We'll celebrate it was Basil, the achievements. Yes, the mayor, yeah, who said maybe he didn't say no is what I'm saying. We pitched it to him and he didn't say no. Okay, I'll leave that one hang in the air. We'll mm. find out, Kate. Um, <laughs> you said uh, soliloquy before, which was accurate, but I have actually composed a limerick as well uh, for it. So if you don't mind, can you just give me a little? Take the bikes to the west. Riders there think it is the best. Time zones aside, we hope we hop on and ride. Who can cares for the thoughts of the rest? <laughs> That's my limerick for the West. Mercy, please <laughs> don't leave it in. Uh look, no, do leave it in. We'll see how we go. It might help the campaign <laughs> with Basil. But that that's essentially that is... what it is. It's like we, give us a go. Give us a go. And I like what Mercy said there because there's a little drip feed. West going, sorry, going to the West already with gravel. There's massive riders doing massive things, chance to showcase and celebrate. And a lot of people saying, Ballarat, we love it. It's beautiful, but uh, maybe time to move on. Mm. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll see as we'll see as it plays out, hey, because the other one uh, they put on the cards and they're talking about, of course, is Sunshine Coast around, um, you know, test events for the Olympics. But uh, then somebody rightly points out that it's peak holiday season and uh, it would be pretty difficult to close a lot of the roads and have a big event in a in a beach holiday area. Yeah. Peak school holiday time. So. Or the, lo- you the know, locals. That makes that seem less absolutely likely. Absolutely love it. The locals will be absolutely cheering um, when yeah. that already mm. forty-five minute, two-kilometer morning commute triples <laughs> or is not possible at all. We'll see. Yeah. We'll follow it. What a saga. Speaking of sagas, uh, a big. Revealed during the week from the uh, the in- inexorable Peter Sagan. Merxy, I hope you're listening because you'll be very excited uh, by this. That it's <laughs> it's not it's not it's a long way from over when it comes to Sagan. Here he is. <laughs> he's he's rereading his uh, his Sagan book. He's he's nicked it off the desk and he's taken it into the bunker in a bunker. I think that Peter Sagan, given the publicity that he generates. Um, he will always be in the news in some way, shape or form. Uh, but it turns out that he has joined a road team uh, for next year, albeit a small Slovakian one. It's called uh, Pierre Baguette. So there you go. I Not necessarily that. the name <laughs> of a team we would say is Slovakian. Uh, but so you have it and it makes me quite hungry, to be honest. Um, give me a baguette <laughs> any day. Now, he's racing with his brother is the DS. And uh, what his manager has come out and said is that there is no big road comeback. He just needs a series of races to prepare for the mountain bike for the Olympics. And this is the best way to do it. So I don't think anybody should get too excited. I'm sorry, Merxy. Uh, I think the most action you'll see from um, Peto is probably still in that book. Uh, but, you know, he's <laughs> just the guy that keeps on giving to the sport. He's like the ultimate genre jumper, uh, isn't he, for what he's been able to achieve. And so I think any time that we potentially get to see him in action is a great thing. I Really, 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 really well said. Um, I have another limerick. Oh, heavens, here we go. Today. Okay. okay. Go. It's, it's on again for Peter Sagan. Back on the bike once Argan. 
He'll never give up. He's too bloody tough and does nothing for a bargain. So I'm talking scratch. What do you reckon, Merksy? Is it worth his while? He's got the resort. It's doing well. But a little bit of extra cash always helps. Hmm. I think we don't do any more limericks. <laughs> That's what I think. <laughs> Two and done. You know, I think that, um, you know, I had a disastrous segment, if we can remember a few weeks ago, when I did an yeah. astrology yeah, yeah. segment yeah. that never came back. Yeah. I'm thinking that maybe the limericks uh, moved to the, the cutting room floor. We'll see. It's nice to try the astrology. <laughs> it is. It's also live. I'll do what I want. Now, let's move on. It's the Wheelhouse Podcast. Uh, WTF UCI. Now, I love this, Catherine, because you've got some momentum happening with this segment. But the good thing about this is that the UCI, on a weekly basis, gives you the momentum with increasingly ludicrous decisions. Now, uh, they need to pull their socks up quite literally this week. What do you got? No, no, Joel, the issue is people are pulling their socks up too high. Uh, this is the stuff that literally writes itself. Uh, last week on the show, we were having um, a little bit of a uh, chat at the expense of the UCI about bikes, 55,000 pound bikes mm. uh, that the UCI were kind of leaving to to slip into their regulations, even though they seem to really contravene them. We've, we've ordered two for the bunker, by the way. They're going to hang on the wall. And here. let's yeah. see if they arise. Yes. Uh, so we thought that was ridiculous. And literally that afternoon it dropped that uh, the UCI have updated their tech regulations around clothing. Uh, so what they are going to do is they are increasing the paid penalties. Um, they've got stricter penalties for socks that are too high, um, up to 2,000 Swiss francs, uh, which is about three grand uh, Aussie. And that's that might seem ridiculous, but it's about aerodynamics. Mm -hmm. yes. um, and if you think back to Cathy Freeman at the Sydney Olympics or uh, you follow the swimming where some of those suits were banned, yep. uh, it is a real thing. And I can tell you, I was in the uh, Champ Sis office uh, yesterday, looking at um, our beautiful kit, Joel, we need to order some uh, some new stuff for this summer. And the amount of research and development that goes into these fabrics is mind-blowing. So it is a legitimate thing that they do need to, uh, you know, consider the impact of this. Mm. Um, but I think one of the issues with the UCI is that we get into this debate where we say, oh, they're not doing anything about the bike, yeah. but they will do something about the socks. So what I posit to you, Joel, yes. is why does it have to be one or the other? Why can't they just do both? Why can't if they do the both? the sock height is legitimate and the bike is legitimate, why can't they just achieve both within one set of technical regulations? Porque no los dos. Fair enough. Uh, uh, Merxy has a comment on this. Katie, why Franks? Uh, why Swiss Franks? Yeah, why What's Franks? that about? Why the Swiss currency? Franks. Oh, good question. Because the UCI um, is domiciled and, and they actually physically exist uh, in Switzerland. So in AIG is where their headquarters are. And so all of the fines are in Swiss francs. Okay. Do you, if you're so an Australian you cyclist, do you have the right to appeal and say, no, I'll, I'll pay you Aussie dollars? Um, well, yes, they do translate it to, to Aussie dollars, I think. But also that means that um, the regulations are written in French and then translated into English. And I think sometimes that can cause a bit of an issue. And, uh, you know, I love my regulation book, guys. Um, so 
what I've found here, and this is regulation 1.3.033, all right? Um, and so I'm going to read you the SOC height uh, regulation. And I think that uh, if you're really able to uh, translate this very well, you're better than I am. Right, socks and overshoes may not rise above the height of mid-distance between middle lateral malleolus and the middle of your femoral head. Hang on, uh, you're, you're sorry, you're, you're what? You're malle, malle, malmeningerous? Your, your middle lateral malleolus. And oh, if you okay. look down to your ankle and there's a bone that's kind of sticky outy on the side. Oh, that's Like the that's what your lateral malleolus is. Um, but they will get a tape measure and go from one to the other. And the midpoint is where your socks can be. Because, of course, they can't say like 20 centimetres because on some legs that'll be up to knees and yeah. um, and others that'll that'll be much lower. So <laughs> That is not what I thought a mariolus was, let me tell you. No. <laughs> Mal mariolus, yes. Well, hey, what, no, I think what, that what did you think it was, Merxy? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> it sounds like some sort of topical balm. Here, try You've a bit of malleolus sure cream. Your lateral malleolus is covered, okay, but not your femoral head. So there you go. Oh, look, they're serious about these rules. I remember, you know, Rainbow's Van Vloten, uh, 2022, of course. Congratulations, you absolute champion. We love you. What a superhuman effort. By the way, your socks are too high. You're fine. <laughs> yes. That's what yes. they do. Okay. Big exactly. ones. So they've done it before. They'll do it again. Um, they've also said if you remove your helmet in a race at all, uh, you can now potentially get disqualified completely from the race. And we'll call that the um, the Lulu rule because Julian Alaphilippe, of course, he famously took his helmet off yep. uh, in order to change some clothing and remove some clothing uh, when it had warmed up. And he got very heavily fined and penalised. And uh, Patrick Lefebvre uh, had a little bit of it. Well, he had his knickers in a knot, I can tell you that, uh, from that one. But the UCI has not backed down on that. In fact, they've gone harder. So keep your lid on your head, fellas and ladies. Lids all of on. You. Okay. Yeah. Lids I mean, on. it'll be interesting the impact on cyclists, I suppose, uh, how this reflects their choices moving forward as well. And that, that extra little bit of, you know, race stress to deal with. But it, look, there is, there's an argument. There's important science behind it, like you say, aerodynamics. And we've seen those advantages. And they only have to be very small to be significant, of course. Um, one to watch, but cl clothing compliance. Do you think the the essence of the sport is stymied by these regulatory measures, or are you are you is this one point oh three 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 oh three three regarding the malleolary load that is a good one? If you can make um, a limerick that includes the word malleolus, I'll be very impressed. I would have, uh, I, I would have, but that... you banned them. So <laughs> banned. You guys miss out on that. That's that totally was, that's banned. your choice. I won't encourage you anymore. <laughs> uh, I do think that there's a degree, like you understand it because there is a clear advantage to it. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, fabrics and that's pretty, you know, that that's pretty accessible technology. So I don't really see the point in restricting things that advance the sport if everybody has access to it. I understand the bike tech and such because, you know, there's going to be a lot of countries that don't have access to 55,000 pound bikes, Australia included, by the way. So, but socks, skin suits, uh, yeah, I'm not sold on that. Not sold? Uh, yeah. No, I'm not what, sold. What's a femoral head? The femoral head is the head of your um, femur. Femoral yes, head, okay. Is, is it your knee? The... 
your femur is your like the big leg bone. Yeah. Right. So the yeah. bit where so it's it goes essentially, into your knee. It's essentially your knee. Yeah, your knee. So they could just say your knee. <laughs> yeah, they could. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. But, but it's the UCI, so let's get they technical. won't. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Look, I'm all for covering the malleolus. Yeah. Protecting the malleolus <laughs> must yeah, be keep, a priority keep the for the malleolus covered yeah. up. Okay, it's called the malleolus. Didn't know what it was till you told us. Oh, that's right. Sorry, I wouldn't let it do limericks anymore. No worries at all. Interesting one to watch. I think WTFUCI, as you say, it's a gift that keeps on giving um, and something they're going to keep pushing. It'll be good, interesting to see the impact. Now, uh, let's turn now to the economy. And I, I mean that quite literally. I'm not even doing a, a thing here. We're, we're talking about the cycling economy, Catherine, and, and I think some really, really positive news as far as people embracing the sport and the sport's benefits, not just on our own health, but on our wallets, uh, on the broader community. This is this is a very cool report, and I, I just want to throw out a number at you, because I know you love your numbers. You're, you, you no, I numbers. do. I do. I'm a numbers lady. <laughs> $16.9 billion. That is... According to this uh, report from EY, commissioned by We Ride Australia, that is what cycling contributes to the Australian economy, not the world economy, the Australian, Australian economy. Yeah. $16.9 got to say, it's bigger than I thought. I did not, you know, I, I'm a big advocate and I have seen the power of cycling uh, in so many aspects uh, that it does add to the economy from um, health to active transport to uh, climate change. There's so many facets of it yeah but 16.9 billion is a huge number and here's one i saw as well joel 33 mm. percent of the adult population in australia so roughly 6.9 million australian adults are engaged in cycling in some regard that's bigger than i thought that i mean the only reason I thought. I yeah thought it was anywhere near that number is just the sheer number of viewers we have um you know mm. that tipped us off to how popular cycling is in australia yeah, 6.5 million of them, every single one of yep. them tuning into the Wheelhouse <laughs> podcast. Uh, hello, Merxy. Uh, just so you know, uh, it's just under 10, million, uh, 10 billion Swiss francs. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> just as a conversion. <laughs> Thank you, mate. That's good to know for the UCI. Mm. But I love this. Uh, you know, we, all, we always talk about environmental impact, but uh, cycling replacing 3.9 billion kilometres of motor vehicle travel. That's half a million tonnes of emissions as well and that, that we've been on about that message all the time but it's like this is these are these are raw figures from we ride australia as you say I, i'm interested in job creation there's almost sixty thousand jobs mm -hmm. created um which i find really interesting across the board i'd love to learn more about that and what the jobs are um specifically but you don't just you don't just release a survey like this you know willy-nilly go let's throw out a number i got i got a one how about 16.9 billion that'll do They've crunched no, the numbers no, and they they're, don't. they're exciting. They really are. I, I love the, uh, the material contribution of almost $2 billion cycling tourism and we've seen it. And fortunately enough, uh, here on the wheelhouse, we've been able to enjoy it. We've been able to enjoy it in beautiful places like Wollongong, uh, Adelaide, and of course the Anamir's Velodrome. So that's, you know, it's really, really good to see. It is. And it's interesting that in the study, uh, which surveyed um, a lot of people, they didn't just pluck these numbers out of the air. Um, but the biggest reason for people participating in cycling was health and fitness, uh, and which I love because there is a real connect with um, active transport and using it as a mode of transport. And we need to do that. Uh, but 
if it's only a mode of transport and people aren't enjoying it from a health and fitness, and we're also talking um, emotional and mental health, mm. so not just physical, then the buy-in will be harder. It'll be harder to keep the continuity of the benefits for active transport if people aren't also really feeling uh, the vibes, let's say that, feeling the vibes around it. Uh, but it was disturbing um, to note that 64% of people who responded yeah. felt unsafe on the roads uh, with traffic and noting that there's not a lot of places in Australia that have um, significant separated bike lanes. Uh, so we don't count bike lanes that are on the road. Uh, because we often see cars parking in them or driving yeah, in them, sure do. but completely separated. We don't have a lot of that infrastructure. And so 64% is, is pretty concerning. It is. Uh, and we've spoken about this before. As, as, as far as deterrence go, we, we had, of course, a study from the University of Melbourne talking about, I guess, some of the perceptions around cycling and it being a bit elite and it being a bit tricky to get into. Uh, and that combine that with the safety concern, it can be a little bit daunting. What I also liked were... You know, you said road safety, weather is a huge one. Um, they've left out magpies. Magpies, I think, should be right at the top of that list as well um, because huge yeah. deterrent, huge yeah. deterrent in that part of the year. <laughs> they certainly are. Nothing, um, some straps in your helmet can't fix though, Joel, right? Well, I, I don't have a helmet that covers the side of my face and the last magpie <laughs> that had a crack at me was it absolutely determined to take a chunk of cheekbone for his for his his or her efforts so yeah we'll see look I, I think it's great I think the 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 scope of this study it reflects the growth it reflects it reflects the recognition of cycling as something that's beneficial obviously physically but so importantly in this crazy era mentally as well and that's hopefully something that more people can see subscribe to the infrastructure thing is massive we've been banging on about it a lot everyone that is in the know, especially this part of the world leading up to Olympics and stuff. It's a, this is such a good opportunity to make wholesale improvements to that, to get more people up on bikes, riding uh, and encouraging others to do so. We've got, of course, I want to mention Chicks Who Ride Bikes. We've got initiatives like that as well that are enabling and including people. So if, if the government can meet us there, these numbers are going to get even better. And we will be celebrating that because we don't only exist to shit can the UCI. We love celebrating all that's good about the sport as well. And when it's domestic <laughs> and it's special like this, I say triple, triple thumbs up. Yeah, I agree. It's a real call to action, isn't it, from uh, policymakers and from the public to really embrace the power of what cycling can bring. You know, one of my pet hates, Joel, is that when people call cycling niche mm -hmm. and they go, ah, oh, <laughs> it's such a niche sport. I'm sorry. A third of all adults engage in cycling, $16.9 billion to the economy. I don't use the word niche for $16.9 billion uh, economy. And, and so I think that we just need to, to use a terrible pun, to match your limerick, we need to link the chain a bit better around uh, all of this, Joel. And I, I think that we can really see some positive change uh, if we move away from the sentiment of almost default, not liking cyclists on the road. Yeah, uh, well, that that's the default position. If we can shove that to the side uh, and just see all the benefits, then um, I reckon we're on a winner. And we ride Australia. Reckon we're on a winner too. Well said, Merxy. A comment from you. I just find it amazing that all these little e-scooters mm. zipping around the cities, are, you know, getting more action than bike riders ever have. That's my comment. 
Getting more action. More attention, more funding, despite emergency wards being overfilling, over overflowing with people that are doing themselves some pretty nasty injuries on those as well. I love, you know, when you're walking along the riverside and you see them tossed into the river as well. So a lot of angles on that one. Very interesting. But look, <laughs> we, we love to celebrate cycling. So it's really, really, really good to see. I wish I could do a limerick about it, but I can't. That's all right. Your pun was better than both of my lyrics, by the way. So that's okay. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I also want to mention, as far as niche goes, I'm going to mention Sisters of the Saddle and Organisation... Oh. Sisters of the Saddle and organisations such as that who are raising vast sums of money supporting incredible causes, are they doing that with a niche sport? Are they attracting yeah, the support they are with, with niche? I mean, no. The Tour Down Under, the Brisbane Cycling Festival, there's a lot of um, governments that are really getting involved in not just the elite side of cycling but the festival around it. And so, you know, let, let that be the uh, the talking point. Indeed. Indeed. Anyone that says it's a niche sport, get into this bunker. We'll eat you for breakfast. <laughs> Speaking of breakfast, what a convenient segue, Catherine. Uh, what did you have for brekkie this morning? You're on fire. Uh, look, I am actually not a big breakfast person. I've got to put that out there. I, I don't think I'm the only one that doesn't uh, enjoy a good breakfast. But when I raced, I think it's probably because when I raced, you almost had to force breakfast down your throat, even if uh, you weren't that hungry, and I've had more pasta breakfast, Joel, than you could probably get your head around. <laughs> okay. It was not one of my uh, favourite things. No wonder but you don't question, like it anymore. <laughs> well, but but you know what I do love? Yeah. I love breakfast food, and I believe uh, that the way to choose a cafe is do they have an all-day breakfast menu? And if the answer is sure. no, I'm not into it. You see? So I like my breakfast food, just not at breakfast. Uh, so if I was going to have a breakfast food, and I think that's probably where the question was going, uh, guilty Avo on toast. Avo on toast. I like it very much. My beautiful wife, Lee, is there with you on the all-day breakfast menu. I think many in the bike community are big, big advocates of an Eggs Benedict whenever the guy want one, basically. Oh, Merxy, um, um, Merxy, if he can get a gluten-free Eggs Benedict, I tell you what, he'll, um, you know... Shove people out of the way to get there. <laughs> or a muffin. I love a muffin. Hates a muffin. Or loves a loves muffin. Loves a good muffin. I, I remember being in Wollongong and going on a frantic search to get Merxy some breakfast food, but uh, the GF <laughs> options were a bit thin on the ground. And I remember rocking back up to the uh, the media centre where we were working and saying, here you go, mate, I got you a big bag of trail mix. And him going, <laughs> thanks. Thanks so Thank much. You. I love a bagel too. GF yeah. bagel. Good to know. Oh, hang on, I'll write that down for the next world's call. Cool. Okay, we'll get in early on that. But anyway, the reason for the topic, uh, endurance athletes, if we talk about this, fueling is obviously right. Getting the right balance, the right amount of carbs, protein, energy is absolutely crucial. So um, there's some unorthodox breakfast choices on the table. You've alluded to one beautifully there, eating pasta for breakfast. I, I can't. Mm. I can't think of a time I would have done that other than when I was, you know, 23, 24, living in Bondi and only having pasta in the cupboard at most of the time. Being and By pasta, I mean two-minute noodles, of course, and that being the thing. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about winning uh, grand tours or world, world titles or anything like that, but Remco Evenepoel, he's, he's the guy we're talking about. Um, I think he, he gives your pasta a little bit of a shake with his breakfast his breakfast layout, Kate? He does. It Look, it, it doesn't start unconventional. He has these little uh, Belgian 
bread rolls and he whacks some jam and honey and banana and yum, yum, yum. Like I'm on board so far, right? Yeah. Uh, he then combines it with some poached chicken. Again, poached chicken in the mornings, maybe a little bit unconventional, but we poached can't chicken? argue that that's mm. not pretty delicious. Yeah, sure. Um, poached chicken. Yeah. And you know what? Great for the protein. You need the protein. You need the carbohydrates. Like okay. tick, 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 right? Yeah. This is where he diverts a little bit. Now, some people might go, oh, a little bit of orange juice. Wash it all down. That's pretty good. Not Remco. He's not the first. Like, he, he does a world champion effort in everything he does. Mm -hmm. uh, Joel, he knocks back a litre of Fanta. Orange Fanta. You of heard Fanta. it right. Like full a strength Fanta. Of orange Fanta. Oh. Yep. And it's now his, like, almost superstition because he had it uh, early on in his career and he was successful in the time trial. And now that's his go-to time trial breakfast uh but bearing in mind that sometimes time trials are early in the day and the golden breakfast rule uh, that still holds true i understand uh, is that you have to eat three hours before you race and uh and that's why a lot of people hate races you know the the world tour if they start at 8 a.m or something because it means that they're eating pasta at 5 a.m not remco he's drinking fanta at 5 a.m uh, so that it's a little bit it's a little bit curious it is a little bit curious. I know that he's been speaking recently about the threat that he faces, especially in time trialing. <laughs> I wonder if his Fanta intake, if he's upped it. because. But no, he hasn't. He said he's been doing it for years. And interestingly, he says, mm. since I've been eating this, since I've been eating my, you know, my orthodox lovely rolls, my, okay, sure, chicken, and my 400 gallons of Fanta every morning, I've almost never fell off the podium in TT's. So if it, look, so if, it, if it ain't broke. I think this should come with a don't try this at home kind of warning. Oh, yeah. Like a leader <laughs> of Fanta, that's, it's not insignificant. No. But it, I will point out that he's not the only athlete to have some peculiar eating habits. Yeah. And uh, Aussie Ryan Bailey, he won two Olympic gold medals uh, in Athens uh, in the sprint and the Kieran uh, and Flying Ray. He was very well known at the time. And I can confirm this because I was a teammate for eating KFC and Coke exclusively. I'm not I'm not even just talking about breakfast on the day of racing. That was it. That was his entire diet. Oh, really? Balanced. It was not, but it seemed to work for him. And they tried to get him to eat other food and he had kind of gastro issues and struggled with it uh, and was, was not too pumped with the change. Yeah. Went back. Uh, if KFC wasn't around... Then he got he went for the fried chicken because it, it didn't need to be specifically KFC okay. uh, or you know chips or something like that. Two Olympic gold medals. Yeah, mercy. Kate, you've got a funny story about Coca Cola that wasn't caffeinated, yeah? Oh yeah, I do. At the uh, at the Amstel Gold Race, uh, it was my first year as a pro, actually, mm. uh, guys. And I was in a breakaway with the Olympic champion Lantin Van Morsel. Uh, at the time, and Miriam Melkers, who was the world uh, number one ranked rider. And then there was me, 18-year-old uh, Aussie, doing a fir literally first race in Europe uh, for a little Dutch team. And I think because I was naive uh, in my first, uh, what is now classic, the Amstel Gold Race, I went in a long breakaway all day with them, uh, not really realising um, that I was making uh, a, a pretty big step. Anyway, with about 20k to go, I was completely done, completely out of energy. And I dropped back to my team car and I begged for a Coke. I just needed anything. I needed sugar. I needed caffeine. Uh, and they put it in a bottle for me and they gave it to me. 
And I do remember thinking this tastes like I wanted the satisfaction of a, of a sugary Coke. Didn't quite taste like that. In cycling world, um, they call it the black doctor uh, because of, you know, people hang on to it uh, in desperate need toward the end of races. Yeah. Anyway, I got third uh, out of three people. Um, so it didn't necessarily work. Not only did I get third, it wasn't even in a sprint. They both pretty much just rode away from me um, in the closing. They got out of their seat and I couldn't even. And uh, at the end, I said to my director, yeah, I thought the Coke would help more than that. Uh, to which she confessed she had handed me um, a diet caffeine-free Coke. Oh, so it didn't have the, the, uh, the two things so that you wanted weren't present. No, they, they were not oh. present. And uh, so that kind of... Yeah. I won't say that it ruined my Amstel Gold Race because I had no hope of beating those pair anyway. Uh, but, you know, that. I can hang on to that. Yeah, I'd, I'd back you. Yeah. We'll uh, never know. We'll never, we will never know. Mm. Mm. i tell you what, though. There are some unorthodox meal choices in the world of sport. I, I want to point out a couple because I always um, sat back and drank in the, the antics of Dennis Rodman in the NBA, of course, oh, yes. and multiple champion with the... Chicago Bulls and a tough guy for the Detroit Pistons before that and a, just a, an all-round character, let's just say a, a theatrical character of world sport and, and was famous for a, a, a living, at, living at large, let's just say, unconventional lifestyle and a bit of a strange diet. And once he said, you know what I eat before games? Hot dogs. And wasn't dogs. He wasn't kidding. He absolutely had hot dogs. Not recommended for most athletes, but it absolutely worked for Rodman. So Hot I, I diggity it's, damn. it's up there with KFC. I, know, um, like, <laughs> I mean, I know Usain Bolt. He was a chicken nuggy guy, wasn't he? He had nuggets before he won in Beijing. That yep. was his, his race See, day. there you go. <sighs> and um, the marathoner, Paula Radcliffe, she was a pizza girl. She hoed into, uh, into a good pizza to get a race ready. So, you know, uh, I think if you hit the carbohydrates and the proteins and, and the sugars, then, you know, it might not be perfect, but yeah. it, it's certainly better than not eating well I'm, I'm actually yeah i'm i'm surprised i'm 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 very surprised remco doesn't indulge in pizza as well given his long history as a pizza hut marquee man but anyway that's hold okay. hold on hold on is are, are we just looking at potentially like a pr stunt here i like think is we banter might be. a sponsor it could given be given his background with pizza Ooh, hmm, curious the remco not to be meal. too cynical but you know let's see yeah, okay. Well, that could work. We'll, we'll get in touch. We'll slide into their DMs on the Wheelhouse podcast. We're talking about food, really. But let's move on to Stouches now because there's been a, well, not really Stouch, but just a, an amusing exchange in the Twitterverse that caught your eel, uh, your ear. <laughs> I was going to say caught your eel. Anyway, it caught your ear as well as your eel. Sarah Ann Egan asked a question, and I think it's a, a pertinent question. We were talking before about people getting involved in cycling and whatnot, and that might involve getting, uh, being part of a group that cycles on a weekend, getting together, going for a group. So you want to know that you enjoy being part of the group, you're comfortable, you feel supported, you get on with people. So this is a question I like. Sarah Ann Egan asked on Twitter, what is the one thing you would ask a cyclist to leave your group ride for, Kate? Mm, like what's the thing you could do and uh, she's from the roadman cycling po podcast she always asks really cool questions and gets a barrage of interesting responses now this one uh, had over 50 responses and there are some categories uh, let's say now the popular categories is if you turn up uh, to a group ride without a helmet you're out mm -hmm. uh, that's a pretty strong one 
Uh, another one, pretty strong theme, was uh, if your snot rockets uh, are misdirected and you become a serial snotter no. on people, uh, you're out. People don't like that. People do like that, that in group rides? Yeah, yeah, they move to the side and, oh. you know, put a finger on the nostril and, and off you go. This is why I go uh, solo. So, yeah, that, that was also an unpopular one. Um, another one that jumped up, which I thought was quite funny and, and seemed almost a little bit petty, um, was anybody suggesting that the ride be shorter? Yeah. So <laughs> if consensus was like, let's do the 50-mile loop, and somebody was like, oh, let's do the 40-mile one, like, out. Sorry. Yeah, see you later. Not not into it. Go on another ride. Um, so it, 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 there were some pretty funny ones. I, and I wasn't to reflect, Joel. Mm. Like, what would be a what would be one for me? And I have a very clear one, uh, which is if anybody in the bunch gets a little bit road ragey, uh, because you will always encounter uh, kind of douche canoe motorists. Yep. Always. And there'll always be people in the bunch that half wheel or don't quite have the same skills. But when you've got somebody that's like road ragey and yells and abuses uh, cars and motorists and hits, like that to me, I'm done. I'm done with those people. They're, yeah. they're out of my bunch. I've got a couple. Of, one that the UCI would really like uh, is harassing another rider over their choice of clothes. I feel like the UCI has got that one in there. <laughs> Uh, what are they, the fashion police? Apparently. Um, well, except for triathlete socks, okay? Let's draw oh, the line there. Yes. Let's draw the line there. That yeah. was a pretty common theme, actually, like ankle socks. <laughs> um, we're <laughs> ankle not popular. Uh, sorry, triathletes. Yeah, but in, uh, put on longer socks, please. Inaccuracies in nose clearing. Is that up to there with the snot rockets that you refer yeah, to? Yeah, I would okay. say that's snot rockety. Yeah. I love the wording. Uh, yeah. Inaccurate. Gloves on the table at the coffee shop. I love that. My... My dear, poor, lovely, late mum would be all over that one. Hats and, and effects on the dinner table. Oh, it's just really? not on. Gloves on the Wait. table at the coffee shop. Where, where do you put them instead is a fair question, but find Back somewhere. pocket Stuff maybe, but I don't know. Pocket, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if I've done that or not, but I've certainly never even noticed it to be a thing. So This mm, one I like. I'll look out next time. Spicy curry the night before. So this is the group ride in, in in the peloton in the formation, and you're right behind someone who's setting the pace, and all of a sudden, oh, I've just lost my will to ride, if not my <laughs> will to live. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, that's pretty egregious because chamois absorb a lot. So. Oh my god! <laughs> anyway, sorry, Speaking sorry. Uh, now this is my favourite. Oh, no. This oh. is my this is my favourite. Not shouting coffees. I, there's I'm one in you. every group. When you go to the bar or the cafe and it's their turn to shout, they mysteriously disappear. I remember having a, a dear mate and we used to say he wouldn't shout if a shark bit him. And I think that that applies very much in the paying of coffees with a group ride. It's like, so sorry, guys, I've just got to take this very important call that happened to happen mm. when we were just about to buy a round, but I, don't worry, I'll get the next one. And then that time comes, it's like, shit, i got to run. Oh, look at the time. See you next week. <clears throat> Kate is yeah, no, I, I concur with that one. And and actually, I did have a, a teammate uh, who was known for this and uh, would sometimes bring like a little baggie of coins and count out in five cent, five euro cent pieces uh, what she thought her tab may be. Oh. Um, certainly, even if she got to the point where she paid for her own, she certainly never uh, had a spare five 
euro cent coin for anybody else. I wonder and, who that uh, was. Yeah, yeah, name, yeah. name and shame. Yeah. Name and no. shame. No, I'm kidding. No, uh, they they had a nickname. Um, the words tight ass were involved in the nickname, <laughs> but I shall not name nor shame. They shall not be named for now. <laughs> we'll keep working not on that. Not for that um, one. I mean, you know. For other things, maybe, but not for that one. Look, a lot of safety-related ones as well. Don't, uh, you know, reckless manoeuvre, deliberate brake check, that sort of thing. As you say, don't don't get involved in road rage. I think that's a big one. But a lot of these are sort of, you know, don't go fast for the group. If you're part of a group, respect the group. That's good. Uh, and then I just, I just want to quickly circle back on, tell me about the intricacies of the chamois again, Kate. Moving we on. Can... We can move on. Okay. It's the Wheelhouse Podcast and it is the off-season, can you tell? Now, let's have a yarn about yarn to to finish off proceedings this week. Uh, Now, this this is a potentially controversial one. Uh, Jan Ulrich, of course, the great German. uh, A a documentary on the way and apparently an absolute lid lift uh, on some of the circumstances around his life and career, including... Doping, um, blood doping during his career, Kate. Yes. Uh, now, he was a legend of the sport. He, he won the Tour de France in 1997. He won seven stages along the way. Uh, one of the most beautiful images that I had on my wall as a child uh, was a photo of Jan Ulrich time trialling uh, when he was writing for T-Mobile or Team Telecom, it was back then. And he had this incredible barrel chest because he had this enormous VO2 and his time trial position was almost one of the like OGs of really nailing the aerodynamics. And it was absolutely beautiful to watch him time trial. I say all of this, Joel, because I grew up in absolute awe mm. uh, of Jan Ulrich and his career. I love time trials as well. It was something I really identified with and, you know, I really revered him. Uh, I see his downfall as nothing short of quite tragic I have to say I mean you know in lieu of anything else this week sadly I could say this is kind of our wheel of misfortune because Mm. he came through an era that was dogged by doping and everybody knew about it all of these issues but not everybody on the other side of it is treated equally and for Jan Ulrich during his career he was using not just performance enhancing enhancing drugs uh, but he was also using super addictive what we call kind of social drugs yeah. uh, like cocaine and alcohol and he used to use whiskey and cocaine as he said keep his heart cold and keep his heart rate under control it's tragic because yeah. he turned into a drug addict mm. and we nearly lost him to this earth and it's only ironically Lance Armstrong's um, support yeah. that dragged him out of it. I, I just think it's it's tragic. And a lot of people just want to say, oh, well, you're doped, you deserve it. But I yeah. think that's too harsh a brush, I must say. A I'm genuine... going to get trolled for that. And I don't even care. He's a human and I, I think, yeah, it's a really tragic story. It is. It's a, he is a human. It's a it's a very difficult time for the sport, that, that taint is always going to be there, of course it is, but this is hopefully a story of redemption as well and hopefully that confession can lift a bit of a lid and I guess just inform people a little bit more as well. I'm not trying to justify anything and probably troll away as well, but the the pressure, the expectation, the culture as well and hearing someone who genuinely went that far down that that path and that toward that rock bottom to actually speak honestly about it. I am... I'm a little bit curious about the timing of the revelations, obviously coming 
with the doco as well and what was in it for him to sort of open up all these mm. years later. I know that there's there's value in that. There's value for the sport moving forward as well, but it's also a chapter that's a quarter of a century plus old. Um, so there is that argument of move on, let sleeping dogs and that sort of thing. I but don't know. People people care though. I mean, I mm. like I get shot down every time there's a doping story and I say, oh, does this need to go on the rundown? And yeah. generally, Joel, we don't like to just cover – um, all of that sort of stuff, because unless there's, you know, a public interest in it, like the sports kind of talked about it ad nauseum, right? But there's, I think, more interest and fascination in someone like Jan Ulrich because of how big the fall was and because of the undeniable quest that he was on for equal footing in an environment yes. where a lot of his heroes, so he's younger than Lance Armstrong, he's, you know, in between... Armstrong and I, generation-wise, yeah. uh, the people he looked up to were doping. And you, the, the genuine question for me is how much of that played into his decision-making and how much of those bad ethical decisions are made without a robust backing of people in your life who yeah. are fact-checking you and making you accountable and saying, don't do this, uh, versus being surrounded by what then seems a little bit normal. Um, but I think what it does highlight is not all of the athletes who have uh, delved into this. And, like, let's not go past the fact that most of the Aussies that were in the peloton at that time have either admitted to doping or being implicated. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them are championed in the Australian sport too. Yeah. So, yeah. like, let's not get high and mighty ethically about some but not others. Okay. Uh, yep. But it's the ongoing battle with addiction, um, I think, and the decline of the rest of his life. Uh, that is, to me, really quite fascinating. Now, I understand what you say about the timing of the documentary uh, and this announcement, um, but I did also read that he found the documentary really therapeutic uh, and that it allowed him to tell his truth, not just to, um, you know, the world, but also to himself, and that that was a lot of the underlying issues behind his recurring um, addiction problems. And And so I think on a human level, I'm really interested in his story. I'm really fascinated in it. And, and it is, yeah, completely tragic from watching him uh, at the height of the sport and having him on my wall um, to, to knowing this incredible downfall. You have unanswered questions. And a lot of people will say that broad, that dark culture at the time. We knew, we knew that everyone was swept up in that, especially riders that were obviously just trying to compete and realising that if you didn't, you were going to be left way, way behind. But I guess... Yeah. Fronting up to that years later, Merxi, uh, you have a thought on Yarn? Kate, I, I, I disagree. Like, end of the day, he's a mm. cheat. And now he's making money from this doco out of cheating. That's what I mean about the timing as well. Like, that, yeah. that all these years later, and obviously well-publicised struggles as recently as, what, 2018, a few years ago. So that really... I, I, there's no other way to say it, but, you know, a bit of scratch um, on offer. Like, how did, yeah, that make I, you and feel? I how did that make you feel when your hero turned out to be a cheat? Like, that's what it comes uh, to. You know, I think, and, and I suppose where this is, it's not an ethical, clear line in terms of how you react to people and how you feel. Um, Lance Armstrong, for example, I don't see him in the same light um, as I see perhaps one of the Australians um, who has a, a doping past. 
And that's a lot about their character and their behaviour and how they treated other people and why they made their decisions. And it is that complexity in understanding a bit more background that allows me to form a bit of a my own view on where they fit on the scale of completely shit bloke, um, cheat, horrible person to, you know, made bad decisions in a in a bad environment. But I do understand that a lot of people who follow the sport and Merxi, you're spot on, ethically corrupt when mm. it comes to his sporting career. Um, but I am interested in everything around it because I think that if we only have good stories on our screens about the success and we only see the high parts, we don't ever really understand why these decisions are made. And I think that's quite dangerous because I think it leads to the next generation not really having their eyes open as to what the pressures are, what the situations are, uh, where we can look out for danger. Um, and I'll tell you a story that when I when this all first started breaking, now this really got me the yarn or rip on because I was writing um, at the time for T-Mobile and that was the team that Yarn Ulrich rode for and T-Mobile had said one more doping scandal and we are out and that happened while I was riding for the team um, and it wasn't a doping scandal in T-Mobile by the way they said in the sport mm -hmm. so it happened in the sport T-Mobile pulled the pin what it meant uh, is that my teammates and I riding around Germany training were literally getting cans of um, soda and stuff thrown out the window at us. Like yeah. it was, there was so much hate towards cyclists because of everything um, that had unraveled. So at the time it was quite uh, personal to me. And we had a lot of pretty philosophical discussions at dinner tables with teams. Now, this is the way someone put it to me. They said, if you come from a country, a background, a socioeconomic status, uh, where you live in a house with three generations, you're unskilled, uh, you are just trying your cycling career, your athletic career is just trying to put food on the table and send your kids, the grandkids to school, right? What is then the ethical discussion you're having in your house? Is it about doping or is it about feeding your family? Yeah. Yeah. But that is massively oversimplifying it. But can you steal? Like, well, no, but line? that's what I'm saying. It's, it massively oversimplifies it. But I think. That kind of example, and it's a very philosophical one, is thinking about what leads to people making these decisions and what the pressures are. So not to say that it's not a terrible thing, not to say it's not ethically bankrupt, but just to put context around it. And I think that's also why Lance Armstrong is really so hated by a lot of people is because it's not even the doping part that they hate him for. It's the way he treated people. It's the way that he perpetuated it, that he bullied others, that he put pressure on others to dope. And I don't think that we should put them all in the same basket. Yeah, look, you, you had that personal sort of tainting with the brush, as you said, with, with cans of soda and whatnot being thrown at you. That sort of thing would stick with you for sure. I'm looking at as a, as a fan as well, like the, all those years and all that success and then it being a big fat lie that's really hard to come to terms with as well i we don't you know i, I think of the the ball tampering scandal in australian cricket there's a, is an example of this we saw three cricketers involved one was mm -hmm. leading the show who didn't really said oh just whatever just do what you got to do to get, get the win one was a senior player who was basically orchestrating and getting in there and apparently saying come on you got to do this for us and the other one was a 
a newcomer to the arena who was allegedly trying to fit in with his mates by doing it, by actually applying the sandpaper to the ball over in South Africa at Newlands. And the punishments varied wildly on that at the time, as did the public um, admonition of those involved. But I, I, to this day, I'm sort of like, well, you were part of it. You could have said no. You could have turned around and said no. Mm. But look, the pressure you allude to is is vast. We're not just talking about one team in one series. We're talking about basically an entire sport at a professional level being dragged through that mud. So I understand where you're coming think, from, but still. I mean, I think things can exist in the same space. I think you can both make terrible, unethical decisions on the sporting field like these dopers did. Mm. But I think you can also be a decent person and a human. And I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. And that's why, to me, it's such it's an interesting story. Because mm-hmm. I might watch the documentary and walk away going, wow, Jan Ulrich Sadushkinu. But I might walk away going, what a terrible decision. He essentially ruined his own life because of bad decisions he made. And that's a tragic story. So it's, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's the kind of conversation you could have ad nauseum, right? Like again and again and again, because there's so many nuances to it. But yeah. I really respect both of your views on it um, as, as well. And And you know I'm not an apologist. I'm pretty harsh on ethical violations. Oh, you definitely are. No, absolutely. But your personal insight to this is fascinating. It really is to have experienced that yourself. I'm also going to put my hand up and raise a little argument here for, for neurodivergence and that and the role that that plays and the fact that, that, that Jan found himself on the spiral that he did even after uh, the blood doping, let's, let's be honest, up until as recently yeah. as five or six years ago. And that kind of personality, a lot of people don't understand um, the... I guess what what leads you down roads like that, and that that being in an environment where your your brain just can't quite cope with all the noise, all the light, all the sound. So mm. there's and an the, argument yeah, for the, that the personality of type. You're right. Of course there is. There is. There are so many. There is so much nuance to this, as I think you've correctly said. But I think Merxy has a really good point as well. From a fan's point of view, you're just sitting there going, "Are you effing kidding me about it?" Look, but at the end of the day, we're getting some clarity about it. The doco has the title The Hunted um, as well, which is, I think, says quite a bit <laughs> as far as we often workshop doco titles here. That one, based on this discussion, is a pretty fitting one. It's available on German yep. Amazon Prime. Merxi, you've subscribed us to that, I guess. Oh, we'll be watching it together. Don't worry. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And look, hey, look, thank you for the discussion, guys. We welcome everyone's thoughts on this. We will watch the doco. We'll, we'll follow up at some point. But look, it's one of those topics, Catherine, as you say, we don't like to sit here and reopen those chapters but sometimes there is a quest for 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 answers closure resolution that sort of thing but uh one to look out for there the hunted the hunted yes um and a reminder joel i'm sitting here uh in my sydney bunker looking at that beautiful screen um that if you head to barkbug.com wheelhouse is the code uh, you can get 10 percent off uh, it wasn't just around the Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales, uh, but all the way uh, continuing. So so get on that. 10% off you'll get. And there's heaps of cool Oakleys on there. I had a look. So look <laughs> there out are, for your Christmas yes. stocking ho, ho, ho. Are we going to auction off your Rio Oakleys at some point? Oh, no, Joel. I've literally got another dozen far bolder uh, designs in the attic somewhere. So I'll uh, I'll have to hunt them out. 
and uh, and yeah, maybe we can auction them off. I'm sure somebody. The new ones are a lot cooler. Okay. They are. I can't they wait. Are. Bring them in. Uh, Bikebug.com wheelhouse is the code. Remember that. Uh, and thank you for the team at Bikebug for being involved in the, in the off season as well. It's a, you know, you've taken a risk, and I, I'm. I'm uh, <laughs> We're enjoying working with you. We certainly are. And I just I got a real appreciation for weather presenters then because I was trying to point to the bikebug.com thing on our video screen here and I realised that I was covering the, the com part of the dot com and then I was pointing Move at the wheelhouse up, yes. and then the ground. It's very, very difficult to do, but I found it. There, there you go, bikebug.com. It's fine, sunny conditions through to the weekend at bikebug.com. Back to you, Kate. As long as there's no more limericks, I don't think you'll uh, need to apply for a, a job as a weatherman. You know there'll definitely so be a limerick next now. week because of the, the robust bands. No, I'm kidding. There won't be. No more limericks. Uh, this is the Wheelhouse Podcast. It's been a lot of fun. A very interesting, very insightful as always, Catherine. Thank you very much from the bunker that's not quite the bunker but is still a bunker. Thank you. Thank you from your bunker and the bunker within a bunker, Merksy. Yeah, Merksy to the bunker inside the bunker. Always an absolute treat. It's good to see you. And can I just say quickly, if you're watching on, you'll see Merksy looks like DJ Merksy today. He's got the dark sunglasses on. He's got the cool hat, the black wheelhouse shirt, and he's holding the mic. You're like, mic drop, Merksy. Your fashion uh, taste knows no bounds, sir. It's all the dancing chat in the last couple of weeks. I'm really getting into it. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. Drop I saw that, that post of Remco 2 posing mid-dance, basically saying I've had a great fun dancing. Also getting out knocking over some massive, massive bike rides, so it's not all about holidays. Still on Fanta. And yeah. doing it on Fanta. Fanta. <laughs> and Pog as well, of course. I should say Pog doing the... <laughs> oh, I wish I could move like that. Anyway, we'll do it all again. Uh, it's the Wheelhouse Podcast. Like, share, subscribe, tell everyone you know. It's a lot of fun. And now thanks to bikebug.com. We'll see you next time.